We're going to read from God's Word. We're reading from Nehemiah, chapter 7. We're continuing our series at night on Nehemiah, and tonight we're just doing chapter 7. And we will probably extend our series with because of this coronavirus and perhaps some other interruptions that will come with it. So I want to read to you the, basically the first paragraph and the last paragraph of Nehemiah, chapter 7, and then we're going to look at the whole chapter tonight, God willing. Because this is on electronic, then I could go for hours. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter one, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, beginning at verse 1. Scripture says, After the wall had been rebuilt, and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity, and he feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, make them shut the doors and bar them. Also, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, um, some at their posts and some near their own houses. And then over to chapter, uh, still in chapter 7, but over to verse 70, the last paragraph, beginning at verse 70, says, Some of the heads of the families contributed to the work. The governor gave the treasury 1,000 darics of gold. It's about eight, eight and a half k's, kilograms. 1,000 darics of gold, 50 bowls and 530 garments for the priests. Some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury um, for the work 20,000 darics of gold and 2,200 miners of silver. The total given by the rest of the people was 20,000 darics of gold, 2,000 miners of silver and 67 garments for the priests. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. Amen. That's God's word to us. May God bless his word and the reading of it to us. Let me lead you in a prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can connect with one another through this means we thank you for your word for your spirit that reaches us wherever we are we thank you for the truths of this chapter and we ask that you might enlighten us challenge us and shape us that we might continue to follow jesus closely and passionately we thank you for this man nehemiah who was available and fully obedient to you so lord speak to us help us likewise to listen to you and to be fully obedient to all that you desire and want for each of us. We ask and pray in your son's name, the Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. At the end of chapter 6, just before we get to chapter 7, just to remind you, we looked at this last week, uh, Nehemiah has finished the wall. Uh, it took just 52 days for him to do so. And the passage says quite clearly and insightfully that he doesn't take the credit to himself he really is a man who walks closely with God he acknowledges that God is the one who did this in verse 16 just to recap and quickly uh, Nehemiah was thousands of miles away kilometers away in a place called Susa one of the capitals the winter capital of the Persian Empire where he got news from his brother Hanani about the devastation of Jerusalem and it was a burden on his heart and he wanted to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and restore the city. Uh, 
but he faced some obstacles, as indeed the book will amplify for us. He faced the obstacle, firstly, of being a thousand, thousands of kilometres away. Um, he was the cupbearer employed by the king, so he needed to get time off. He needed the king's permission to be able to go to Jerusalem, which in turn would have reversed state policy. Previous kings had forbidden this. And remarkably, God intervened. The impossible happens. Uh, it's just like God, that he is capable of doing anything. Even with this coronavirus and with us, we need to keep looking to him and trusting him and not fearing, but allowing him to work in us and through us. God may very well grow his church through this difficulty. Uh, other obstacles that Nehemiah faced is that when he arrived, he had... Uh, the governors in surrounding areas were opposed to him being there. They didn't like it. They didn't like his mission. There was inside the city itself, with what few people were there, there was injustice from the rich people oppressing the poor. And then there was even enemies outside the city who, in the first six chapters, we have learned that they ridicule, they threaten violence, they spread rumours. Uh, they are relentless in their trying to intimidate Nehemiah from doing what God called him to do. And then at the end of chapter 6, we read, and in 52 days, the job was done. Just under two months, God again turned up. If you think about it, when he got the news, it was winter, probably December, about 445 BC. By the time he gets permission, it's April. By the time he arrives in Jerusalem, it's August. By the time the wall is finished, it's September. Nine months. This whole mission takes nine months. The impossible. God did it. And Nehemiah does not sit back, as I said, but he both gives God the glory, God did this, doesn't bring glory to himself, but he also says at the end of chapter 6 that he is aware the story's not finished. The walls are built, but the city's not populated. The city still has to be restored. And the opposition is continuing. It's, again, relentless he's not blind to it he's not blind to the issues or the challenges and particularly of this one man Tobiah but he's not alone he'll come back in the book of Nehemiah particularly chapter 13 but also the nobles some of the people who were at one stage Nehemiah thought they were his friends but they turned out to be really on Tobiah's side and he had to cope with all of those personal difficulties so we come to chapter 7 and there are about seven truths for us to derive out of this chapter it's when you first read it, you think, gee, it's a whole list of names. <clears throat> but when you pause and read it carefully and meditate upon it, as I've had the opportunity to do this week, then you start seeing things of why God put it there. So the first thing for us to note is the walls have been built, the doors, the gates are now in place. And Nehemiah, first thing he does is he appoints key leaders, reliable leaders, because he's surrounded by people he can't trust. And so he needs some people whom he can delegate it to because he needs the process, the work to go on and he can't do it all himself. So verse 1 tells us that he makes some general appointments and you may just read over it, but it says that he appointed gatekeepers, the musicians and the Levites. And what may not be clear to you is that, in fact, they all get derived from the Levites and these are both physical needs being addressed the gatekeepers protection the musicians the singers and musicians are put in place in terms of our spiritual needs to worship god 
and the Levites that are mentioned in verse 1 are really the, uh, the servants and the Bible teachers, as we'll read next week in chapter 8. So Nehemiah is addressing the physical, spiritual and the intellectual needs of the people of Jerusalem. It's a very balanced approach. Generally, he appoints those. And then specifically, he puts in place a mayor for the city of Jerusalem, the civil leader. It's his own brother, Hanani. There's nothing sinister about that. Um, he needs somebody he can trust. And he does trust his brother, Hanani, that we learned from chapter 1. But he also appoints this other man, Hananiah. He's in charge of the police. He's the commander of the citadel. So civil and police authorities are put in place. The mayor and the chief of police, the commissioner, if you like. And this guy, Hanani, along with Hananiah, he describes them as men of integrity and they feared God more than other people did. Uh, Nehemiah appointed leaders who were going to be faithful and p people who are going to be fearful of God, reverence, honouring God. Um, he was very careful in his selection. I want to come back to that for us later on in this message about the leaders that, who are we to look for? What are the qualities and what are the characteristics? But in verse 2, we have these two, faithfulness and reverence, what a desire to want to please and live for God. Those two often go together, don't they? Our relationship with God overflows into other people being able to trust us. It's the first thing he did, appointed key leaders. Second thing he does in verse 3 and following, he recognises possible dangers. He didn't just appoint these leaders, he also gave them pretty clear instructions. In verse 3, I said to them, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the Levites, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. Don't open it at dawn, which was normal in the ancient world, because there could be a surprise attack. Most people will still be in bed asleep. Don't do that. Leave the gate shut and barred until the city is awake, until the people are up and about and they are alert. So again, he's trying to protect the city. Um, while the gatekeepers are still on duty, then shut the gates. It's not absolutely clear if they've got to stay there all day or if Nehemiah is calling for a shortened day. They perhaps probably had a siesta in the afternoon in the heat of the day, so Nehemiah is saying, well, when the sun is up, when it's warm, open the gates, leave it open for a couple of hours, and when it's time for siesta, close the gates again and bar it so that when people are resting, the city is secure he recognized the possible dangers and he puts in place people who are going to enable the city to be protected he also then said also appoint residents of jerusalem people living in the city as guards some of them are to be on posts on the walls at various locations sentinels in order to keep a watch to warn of groups that might be coming or attacking and secondly, appoint some people near their homes. So either guards at a post or some of the guards actually put them somewhere near their house because that'll motivate them to stay alert, to protect their family. Before we move on, the point of what Nehemiah is doing and saying to these people is you need to be watchful, you need to be alert. The enemy is about... They mean us harm. They've threatened that in chapter 4. They did it again in chapter 6. And they haven't gone away. Uh, so too for us, as we follow the Lord Jesus, we need to be alert, as the New Testament tells us. Uh, the evil one is like a roaring lion walking around. Be alert. 
and particularly this statement about and near their homes be on guard we need to be on guard in our homes mums and dads grandparents you need to be guarding the house you need to be guarding what movies you watch what you watch on tv what internet you access the friends where if your kids are staying over someplace who's supervising them what are the plans what are they doing be on guard be alert pray for and pray with your family instruct them and discipline and do all the things you should do be on guard so nehemiah recognized some possible dangers and he instituted a response to it in the process of identifying that need the passage goes on verse 4 tells us the city was large and spacious the walls are up but there were few people in it and the houses had not yet been rebuilt there were houses there but some of them had been destroyed and they were still destroyed they had still yet to be rebuilt remodeled and so it's a problem you've got this secure fortress of a city but very few people in it everybody's out in towns or on farms they're away from the city and that concerned Nehemiah because he wanted to not only rebuild the walls he wanted to restore the city of Jerusalem to a viable functioning city verse 5 says he's a man who walks with God so God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles the officials and the common people for registration by families the idea let's have a census let's find out where people are living uh, the population clusters in these towns and can they afford to release some of those people to transfer to make the sacrifice to move from living in the country green pastures all around you and a nice slow lifestyle and to give that up to move to the city where the neighbors are going to be much closer it was a sacrifice that he was challenging them and asking them to do and when we get to chapter 11 you'll find out that the people celebrated about one-tenth of the people who make that call who respond to it but at this stage Nehemiah's just got the idea this is what I'm going to do came from God God put it into my heart and he starts researching it and verse 5 tells us I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return and then there was a record from verse 6 all the way down to verse 69 of this genealogical record it's exactly the same list as in Ezra chapter 2 why would God repeat the chapter the Lord does that sometimes in the scriptures Psalm 14 is the same as Psalm 53 so there for a reason when you compare the list you'll find out they're not identical they're not exactly the same there are it's a mystery we don't know why they're not exactly the same they do come up with the same total but there are variations and Bible scholars haven't been able to answer that because I think it's a minor point God doesn't give it to us for the numbers he gave it to us for something else the point is not to count the people the point to note is that these people count that's the point that God took note of families and of people's individuals and that they were part of his family that truth is still true for us Nehemiah waited on God's direction he is um, being obedient to that and he finds this genealogical record and it's about a hundred years later but it gives him the idea and he assembles the people in order to count them before we move on to what Nehemiah does <clears throat> let me 
focus on, I spent some time this week looking at verses 6 to 69. If you have trouble sleeping, just read those verses. They'll put you to sleep. It's like reading a telephone book. And it's difficult. It took me quite a while. In fact, I had one guy in particular help me. His name was Raymond Brown. He wrote the BST commentary. He had amazing insight. And so I've taken some of my points tonight from him. I've adapted what he said. He has 10 points. I don't. I put some of his points together, obviously. <clears throat> but he and all commentators point out, this list that Nehemiah has from verse 6 to 69 falls into nine categories, nine groupings of people. From that, we can derive some important lessons. For instance, here's the list. If you'd like a copy of it, just send me an email and I'll send it to you. <clears throat> Verses 6 and 7, they are the original leaders. If you know the book of Ezra, then Zerubbabel and Joshua were part of that. They're mentioned. Then verses 8 to 38, first half of this listing, there is a listing of 18 different families, different clans, and the towns that they belong to. Then there is a list of the priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers. So that's all of the temple staff to enable the worship of God. And then verses 46 down to about 60, you get temple servants. And there's a reference to Solomon's servants. Back in Solomon's day, those servants were foreigners. But they'd come into the menial tasks, uh, chopping wood and carrying it to the temple or lugging water up to the temple. They had likewise been carried off to Babylon, but now that seems, after 100, 170 years, these people have assimilated into, become part of the community of God's people. That's always God's intention. And so now they're included in the list, Solomon's servants. So you've got leaders, families, you've got the priests and the temple musicians, you've got the temple servants, and then verse 61, the ninth category, 61 to 65, you have those of questionable ancestry. They didn't have a passport, they didn't have ID, they didn't have a birth certificate. They wanted to be part of God's people, but they couldn't prove it. They couldn't identify themselves as Jewish people. And initially, Ezra chapter 2, that's why the list is there. Who is a real Jew? Ezra 2 answers the question. Nehemiah is now asking the question, who were the real Jews whom I can have live in the city? who will be faithful to fulfill God's purposes, to eventually bring the Messiah into the world. Verse 61 says, um, there's a list of the descendants. The following came up from the town, those towns, um, but they could not show that their families were descended from Israel. So they were not in. Verse 64 says, even some of the people who thought they were Levites or priests they searched for their family records, verse 64, but they couldn't find them. And so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor, Nehemiah, if it was current, or the governor back in Ezra's time, therefore ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until it could be established through Urim and Thummim. In other words, until God enabled those people to be qualified and to come in. What's the point? Well... As you look at that list, these points, like I already said, the important thing is not to count people, the important thing is to see that people count, that God notices each one of us. There's a rich variety of different gifts, different offices, different abilities, different 
ways to serve God to achieve his purposes. Nine different categories, eight different categories. Um, and remember chapter 7, verse 2? The two guys, the civil leader and the police commissioner that Nehemiah appointed, had to be faithful and people of, in, not just integrity, but people who feared God, who honoured God. I summarise that by saying that when we look for leaders, when we look for qualified people to serve in the church, they need to be fat. <laughs> F-A-T. Faithful, available, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. Or you could say fair, people who are fair and reasonable with one another, people who are able, they have some abilities, they have some competency, and people who are team players. Either way, F-A-T, fat. And then just because I'm me, we don't want people who are fit, <laughs> F-I-T. You don't want people who are fickle, independent or thoughtless. You don't want fussy, intolerant, traumatic people. You don't want people who seek fame or who are insensitive or they're just terrible. I don't expect you to remember any of that. I'm not sure I'll remember any of it. But you do remember, I hope you remember this, fat. Faithful, available, teachable. People who love God and because they love God are trustworthy and seek to serve and follow Him. Not everybody qualifies. That's what verse 61 and 64 and following reminds us. Some people, everybody is welcome. Not everybody qualifies, but anybody can join. I'll come back to that in a moment too. Sometimes we have to say no to some people because they're not ready. Faithful, available, teachable. Well, we're up to the last paragraph, verse 70 to 73. It's Nehemiah making sure and enabling that providing for the work of the temple and the ministry of the priests. The governor is the head of it. He leads the way. He gives very generously. He doesn't just look after himself, but he contributes. He's modelling. It's exemplary. He's giving sacrificially. And the heads of families give and the people give. When you tally it all up, it comes to millions of dollars. Nehemiah cares not just for this, the wall and the city being restored, but he cares about the spiritual well-being of the people. He's a very balanced character. And the truth for us is that God's work needs to be supported financially by God's people. Those who love God's word need to support God's work. You know that. Not just with your time, but also with your finances. You know that, and I just remind you of it. Like Nehemiah, we only have one life to live. I rejoice in this truth. He was not a pastor, he was not a Bible teacher, he's not a missionary, he's not a priest, he's none of that, he's not a Levite. Nehemiah was a secular guy, he was an administrative person, he was a government employee who loved God with all of his heart and did what he could to achieve and to advance God's purposes. It's for all of us, it's not for those whom we look upon as spiritual, it's all of us together with the gifts and the abilities, the talents that God has given us to serve Him, to walk with Him and that God will put things in our hearts, do this or think about doing that and it's working together. So chapter 7 is much more than an archive list of names of people who are long forgotten. It's the declaration of people who were sold out 
to serving God, who made the sacrifice of giving up a comfortable home in Babylon and traveling to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is going to ask, give up being comfortable living in the country and move to the city. Well, it's going to be difficult and it's a sacrifice, but that's what God needs and he asks us to do it. Well, how do I conclude this? Not everybody's a Nehemiah. You could be a Hananiah or a Hanani. You could be a musician. You could be a groundsman, a singer. You could be a preacher. You could be a person who prays. Whatever it is, you're needed. I refer you to last week's bulletin where some people think it was a mistake, but in one of the articles, there's a whole lot of X's. And it's just simply one letter missing. And what a difference it makes. You have a place. We need you here serving, involved, giving, praying. But you need to be fat, <laughs> spiritually speaking. You need to be faithful, available, teachable. You need to be right and stay right with God and you need to be reliable. People matter to God. You matter to God. He knows you by name. Nehemiah chapter 7 alludes to that just like Jesus says that he knows his sheep by name what's important is that we know his name that I know Jesus knows everybody because he's omniscient but I mean personally you need to know him relationally because there's going to come a day on the day of judgment the Lord Jesus will say to some people I never knew you you didn't follow me you didn't do what I wanted you to do. You didn't come to me for forgiveness. So depart from me. God knows you. God loves you, cares for you. There's nothing more he can do to demonstrate that more than by sending Jesus. And he placed you here. And he's the one who has shaped you. He wants you to discover what you can do and to commit yourself fully to doing that. Well, I'm nearly done. Here are the seven truths. Nehemiah built the wall in 52 days. He didn't do it. God did it with him. God did it through him. God gets the glory. He still faced ongoing difficulties, but it was nose to the wheel. Number two, Nehemiah made key appointments, looking after the physical and the spiritual aspects of the life of the city of Jerusalem. He looked for people who were faithful and who feared God, people who were reliable and reverent. Number three, Nehemiah recognized the possibility of dangers and he encouraged people to be watchful, be on the alert. Number four, Nehemiah walked with God and because of that, God could put ideas into his heart and into his mind, which in turn led to him challenging others to join him in the work. Number five, it's not just a list of names, it's a list of people who count, we count, people who matter to God. God made us and put us here and he wants to use us. Number six, God's work needs to be supported by God's people, generously and sacrificially. Number seven, finally, make sure that you know Jesus personally and discover who you are and how you can commit yourself to being all that he wants you to be. It's a great chapter. There's lots of truths in it for us. May God bless you as you seek to apply those truths to your life. I'm going to pray. Pray with me, please.
Heavenly Father, thank you for the truths of this chapter. Thank you for the reminder that we matter to you, uh, that you sent Jesus to make that possible. Thank you for Nehemiah's example. Lord, help us to focus upon some of those and to emulate that in our lives, to make sure we honour you and glorify you when we have successes or victories, to look out amongst us for people who are reliable and reverent, to walk with you closely. And Lord, enable us to give sacrificially to your work, to your kingdom cause, and help us and our loved ones and our friends and our colleagues and neighbours to know Jesus personally, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and relationally, and to be responding to what he wants to do in us and through us. I pray this in his name, for his honour and for his glory. And all God's people said, Amen.